Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. I'm Brian Honda alongside Kyle Betts. It's January 27th here. It's about 9.30 on the West Coast. It's 10.30 Mountain Time. How are you doing, Kyle? Doing great. Uh, we had another great week of sports and can't wait to get down into it and uh, discuss it with you. Mm-hmm. It's another big weekend of sports. We're going to talk some baseball. We're going to enter we're entering day 56 of the MLB lockout. We're going to talk Hall of Fame voting. We're going to talk some NFL, some people, some longtime players and coaches moving on from the National Football League and their roles that they've had. We're going to talk the conference championship weekend. We're going to talk Chiefs and Bengals as well as Rams and 49ers. Also a big weekend of sports in addition You've got Australian Open Tennis. We're about to enter semifinal play. You got Farmers Insurance Open at the PGA Tour round two. It's taking off today at Torrey Pines in San Diego. And you also got college basketball. There's conference play going on as as we're about five weeks away from conference tournament play. But let's kick it off with some baseball. Like I mentioned, it's day 56 of the MLB lockout, which began on December 2nd of last month. MLB owners and the MLB Players Association, they met on Monday. The Players Association had their counteroffer to the MLB's proposal from January 13th. And per sources, mm-hmm. that meeting lasted about two hours. They talked various topics. And one of the things that the Players Association dropped was they uh, dropped the request to give some players free agency before six years. So you think about... Um, based on service time issues and things like that. So it gives those players the full six years. Uh, so they, the players actually dropped that. And the two sites also scheduled a meeting for the following day on Tuesday, just a couple of days ago. And in that Tuesday meeting, according to multiple sources, including Jeff Passan of ESPN, MLB owners agreed to accept parameters of pre-arbitration bonus pull for top 30 more players or wins above replacement. So you think about players like Ranger Suarez or Brandon Woodruff, for example, as you know, they enter the their arbitration years. Um, and so the MLB Players Association was seeking $105 million to compensate that. Uh, however, MLB offered $10 million. So talks will be ongoing to figure out that total. Um Next, the MLB offered minimum raises to 615,000. MLB, the Players Association, went 775,000. And the MLB, which you offered to change arbitration structure. And Kyle, when you think about all of these discussions going on over these two days, what was your reaction hearing all this uh, come down? Yeah, I, I guess in this case, any progress is good progress. So you see them meeting a couple days in a row after not meeting for, I think it was a couple weeks almost. Um, so it, it does seem like they are in talks to um, increase that pay for the players at least. That's what the MLBPA wants. So um, interested to see if MLB is going to up that offer, um, not only for the minimum wage for a contract, but also for that um, top 30 war players as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's going to be some sort of middle ground they're going to meet in. I mean, that's usually what happens in this case. Um, But it also does seem like there's still 
a couple of weeks out at the very least before finalizing anything. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, talks are stalling, but at the same time, they're, they have progressed as compared to what's happened, you know, in the previous week. So that's good. Mm-hmm. I think it sounds like Cornish versus the next meeting might be, I think it's next week, but yeah. those are all reported, not finalized. But right. we will keep all of you updated on the lockout when news breaks out of that. But let's move on now. The Baseball Hall of Fame election announcement was Tuesday voted on by the Baseball Writers of Association in America. You need 75% be elected 5% to remain on the ballot. There were 394 ballots this year, meaning we needed 296 to be elected and 20 to stay on the ballot. And here this year, we had one, uh, uh, one, one player get elected to the Hall of Fame, and that was David Ortiz, first year uh, First-year player on the ballot got 307 votes for a 77.9%, uh, just above the uh, 75% threshold. Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens got around 66%. Scott mm-hmm. Rowland made a jump at 63%. Kurt Schilling got 58.6%. Um, or Scott Rowling got 63%. Roger uh, mentioned Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, 58.6%. Omar Vizquel dropped from 49% down to 23% this year. Billy Wagner got increased up about 5%. Todd Helton got another increase about 8%. Gary Sheffield was the one who from this year to, from last year to this year, got no change as he got 40.6% of the ballot in. Kyle, when you think about these results, what was your reaction to seeing um, but, um, the ballot? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't necessarily surprised at the results this year. I mean, Bonds and Clemens has, I mean, past 10 years, it's, it's sort of been that debate of um, morals, of, of what values should you have as a voter. And um, this, this really brings in our first of two, actually, fair or foul segments um, of the day here. Clemens and Bonds obviously not getting in, even though David Ortiz um, received almost 78% of the votes, first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, It's really been the talk of the sports world, I would say, especially, you know, social media has Mm -hmm. um, reacted in ways that we didn't really expect. And it, it seems like the overall consensus just in general in the sports world is that Clemens and Bonds should be in the hall of fame. And we've discussed this before as well here on down the line, but I mean, it just really seems like most people believe that they should have their opportunity to be in the hall of fame. Um, But that's not what the voters feel. And Mm -hmm. I mean, these writers, a lot of them are, I mean, let's face it, old white men who have been, you know, covering the game for years and years. Um, I mean, to me, it doesn't make sense that David Ortiz gets in. I mean, he was involved in PEDs, obviously, and then there's Bonds and Clemens. Um, obviously, there's that crazy stat about uh, David Ortiz and, and uh, Barry Bonds. If Barry Bonds, all of his home runs resulted in outs, he would still have a higher OBP um, than David Ortiz. So that's interesting. But, I mean, just 
I mean, the steroid era, it, it's part of baseball. You're never going to erase it. And the guy who oversaw that whole era, Bud Selig, is also in the Hall of Fame. I think the system is outdated. It's flawed. Um, one of the greatest hitters of all time, Barry Bonds, should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. So um, it honestly is, I think, a travesty that both Clemens and Bonds are going to end up going to that special veterans committee um, in order to determine their future in the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, one of the greatest pitchers to ever play, one of the greatest hitters, I mean, steroids or not, it's a part of the game. A lot of people were doing it, and you can't erase history. And I do feel like they believe I, – I believe that they should both be in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. It's uh, going to be interesting to see what happens in the future with this and uh, if they actually do get in in the end. But um, definitely – it's really interesting, I guess is the only word I could use because it seems like the overall consensus of what people think is that those two should be in and Mm -hmm. the voters disagree. They think otherwise. It's really hard for people to agree. It's really hard for three people to agree out of four people on something. And we see that here, especially with the hall of fame. uh, Yeah. The same guidelines have taken place since that first class was, Elected in 1936, that featured people like Babe Ruth, for example. Um, you know, you think about Cy Young barely getting in on his second year, and so through the test of time, this 75% has withstood. And I think that's just the baseball purists also be realizing, right. you know, and two, there's also with that baseball purist, they can, you know. We have people voting that have done this for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. And you think about what they started. You think about 20 years ago when they started voting. You think about, you know, they had to also deal with a player like Pete Rose, who right. hasn't been in the Hall of Fame. And so, you know, it's, I think if, they knew that if gambling wasn't right, then they knew that storage wasn't right either. And so right. because of that, they knew that Bonds wasn't going to be able to get in, even though they have this, supposedly it's their final year, they got to get a boost, which they got a, they got a good boost. They got, they got, uh, Bonds got 4%, Clemens got 3%. Um, mm-hmm. So you think about, you know, that 10 year, but um We'll just have to see what comes next for Bonds and Clemens um, in a veterans committee. Um, There's 16 voters for that, so they have to get 12 um, on each of those ballots, at least 12 to enter the Hall of Fame come, I think it's December. Yeah, I mean, it is just such a topic that seems to be, like I said, so one-sided on social media. It seems like everyone is vouching for those two to get in. And did they need to take steroids? No, absolutely not. They didn't need mm-hmm. to. Um, but they were a part of that era and they engaged. And another part of our discussion here is how does this affect Alex Rodriguez here in the years to come? I think it might be the same way, although it's going to be a little bit tougher for A-Rod because he was actually suspended. And, you know, he had that one-year suspension. Right. Um, and you see this year, you know, despite – you know, being part of that World Series championship team in 2009 with the Yankees, you think about 
all the accolades, the the three hundred, the three thousand plus hits, uh, close to seven hundred home runs. You know, it's gonna be tough for a Rod to be able to get in, especially now with Bonds and Clemens got in. And you think about Bonds and Clemens in their first years, their first year on the ballot in two thousand thirteen. It's about the same where a Rod got around thirty four percent. Bonds had thirty six percent, and Clemens had thirty seven percent. Uh, in right. 2013 so it's it shows you that you know it might be a similar track or it might be numbers could be a little bit lower although 2023 is gonna tell a lot of how one year to the next goes yeah I agree I think it is going to be very similar I, I think just because you know of the accusations against all these players and obviously a-Rod suspension, you bring up a great point there. That, that definitely affects it as well. So I guess we'll just have to see. And like you mentioned, I mean, 34% um, for A-Rod in his first year, obviously, this time around. And uh, similar numbers, obviously, like you mentioned, with Bonds and Clemens. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see if things do change. And if he does get in, then is it a sort of considered a sort of hypocrisy from the voters, you know? Um, it's it's very complicated and I don't like this process at all honestly mm-hmm. but I mean it, it's always been that way and it probably will continue to you know this system will c- continue to be in place for years to come I, I mean I don't see a reason why they would change it mm-hmm. but um yeah I think obviously that's going to be something to consider for the future as well and um I mean when you think about the years to come as well I mean how do you think the names that were on this year's ballot in their final season, Brevin, how do you think guys like Roland and Todd Helton, I mean, do you think that they, their numbers increase next year and the years to come? I mean, what do you, what do you think now that more names are off the ballot and others are now on the ballot? Mm-hmm. Well, we think about next year, we won't have Schilling. We won't have Bonds. We won't have Clemens. We won't have Sammy Sosa who got 18% this year. We also mm-hmm. won't have uh, Tim Hudson, who fell off the ballot at 3%. Um, and so that's five guys right there that, um, you know, voters won't be able to pick from. And you think about yeah. for Bonds and Schilling to each have two-thirds of the vote, that's at least two votes that writers get to get. Uh, that's another vote that writers get to have. So, And you think about that 2023 ballot next year, um, really the only newcomer that really has a big chance of getting into that's a chance of breaking a good 10% is Carlos Beltran. But then the next controversy comes with the Astros cheating scandal and how that's going to play effect in oh, Hall yeah. of Fame voting. Um, oh, yeah. And so that's going to be the next test of the next controversy for voting. And so that's going to be you know, uh, that's going to be a big question next year. But you think about some of these other players, like you mentioned, you know, guys like Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland now, if he has the same, if he has the same increased total plus a few more votes, he's a Hall of Famer when you really think about it. Yeah. 63%, he got a 10% increase this year. He's, I think, entering year number eight in 2023 on the ballot or year number seven yeah. around there. Um we could probably see the biggest year-to-year 
uh, biggest year-to-year jump from Omar Vizquel from 2020, from the biggest drop to the biggest jump possibly in Omar Vizquel, who got 49%, almost 50% of the ballot in 2021, got t- less than a quarter at 23.9 for yeah. a 25% drop. We could see him get that increase again because when you think about Omar Vizquel was really the guy that lost a lot of votes, whether it was because of the domestic violence that he uh, he encountered, that he went through uh, within the past year, or you think about <laughs> some of the newcomers coming on the ballot, whether that's Jimmy Rollins, whether that's um, David Ortiz, or that's, you know, voters wanting to vote for Bonds and Clemens in their final year, Omar Vizquel lost votes because of that. Um, you can yeah. see... Uh, like we mentioned, Billy Wagner and Todd Helton, they're right, right, right around each other, getting getting increased above fifty percent now in twenty twenty two, and so that could be something that could. Um, that's a good discussion. A couple of specialists in their own ways. You think about Todd Helton with that course build effect. Um, even though we, that was kind of that argument was kind of put to rest when Larry Walker got was elected to the Hall of Fame. Uh, just a few yeah. years ago, you think about Billy Wagner as a closer. Um, then you think about Andrew Jones, um, I think, mm-hmm. who doesn't quite get talked a lot when it comes to Hall of Fame voting. His numbers are up there among center fielders, a seven and a half increase this year. So another big jump for him. So it's going to be uh, wild to see this 2023 ballot uh, when it comes out next year. Yeah, I think you hit it perfectly. I mean, a lot of these guys who lost votes like Vizquel, I mean, definitely probably went to Bonds and Clemens because you obviously talked about that increase. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right when you say that it, it's all just going to come down to really what the, what the voters think. I mean, obviously with Rollins' increase, I mean, we could definitely see him next season, next year, if not the year after. I think that's an absolute, that's absolutely a possibility at this point in time. And then yeah, Jimmy Rollins obviously going on the ballot. He's he's destined to receive, obviously, a big chunk of votes as well. So um, it, it will all just come down to what the voters think. And it's always been subjective. It'll probably continue to be that way, like I said, for years. And so, I mean, it's just, it, it's very complicated, the, the process, how voters interpret, you know, certain intangibles or factors into one player's career compared to others. and. Um, I'm just interested to see what happens next with this whole situation, especially with Bonds and Clemens to see if they ultimately do get in um, mm-hmm. through that committee. Mm-hmm. Um, also on the ballot uh, from 2022, Andy Pettit got 10%. So he is staying on next year's ballot mentioned Jimmy Rollins. Um, he got uh, 9.4%. Bobby Abreu got 8.6%. Mark Burley and Troy mm. Henner just got in on, with 5%, just above 5%. It was about 20 votes to stay above that 5% threshold. Joe Nathan missed that 5% threshold by about three to four votes um, at 4.3%. Tim Hudson falls off the ballot. See, he's another victim of that drop. Um, as we mentioned with Omar Vizquel, he got 12 votes and 3%. Tim Lincecum got 2.3, Ryan Howard 2%, Mark Deshera, Jonathan Papelbon, Justin Morneau each got 1%. Uh, 
AJ Przinsky got a couple of votes at a half percent, along with Prince Fielder, and then Jake Peavy and Carl Crawford did not receive huh. a vote. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's part of that bottom half of the ballot. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk some football. We're gonna talk yes. uh, the retirement of Big Ben, as well as. Uh, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints, Sean Payton, deciding to take a break from being on the sidelines. We're also going to talk conference championship weekend. We're going to talk some NFL quarterbacks as well as our trivia segment's going to return this week. Kyle will be testing me uh, when we come back here on Down the Line. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to our second half of this episode of Down the Line. I'm Kyle Betts, joined alongside Brevin Honda. We just discussed some MLB, talked some lockout, some Baseball Hall of Fame, um, the ballots that were just handed in for 2022. And we talked about everyone who was or wasn't elected. But now we're going to move on to some football. And uh, before we get into recapping last weekend which was absolutely wild we're going to talk some news and that starts with the official retirement of ben roethlisberger pittsburgh steelers quarterback Um, he retired today officially kind of expected this to happen especially um, when he played his last home game that was his ultimate final send-off in front of um, steelers nation but he officially announced his retirement never had a losing season as a quarterback of the Steelers, which is incredible. Obviously, two-time Super Bowl champion. Um, the accolades can go on and on. He's a surefire Hall of Famer. There's no doubt about that. And Brevin, when you think about his career and obviously um, announcing his retirement today, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I think for me, it's the durability. I mean, yeah. when you really think about it, he missed. He played at least 11 games in every season except 2019 when he went through that thumb surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about every, every single game after that, playing at least 11 to 12 games um, every single year. That 2018 season where he threw for over 5,000 years, uh, 5,000 yards sticks out um, despite 16 interceptions. Um, you think about yeah, just some of the great 
um, things that stand out recently. But you think about those two Super Bowls, that one against the Cardinals where he found, I think it was Antonio Holmes in the back corner of the end zone. Um, and even this year, uh, when we think about Big Ben and what he was able to do through at least touchdown in all but uh, one game this year, um, you know, and that, this is a team that even for how older I would say Big Ben was, this team still made the playoffs, you know, as this team looks to build build the future. You think about having Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool with um, having Najee Harris at the running back. This team was able to help Big Ben make the playoffs for the final time um, in his career, which says a lot about not just Big Ben, but his teammates and Mike Tomlin as well as head coach. Yeah, I mean, this is a team, especially this season, that was not supposed to make the playoffs. And um, their offense just was not anything, you know, that we've been used to seeing in the past with guys like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, obviously. Um, And Ben's arm past two, three seasons, you can tell it's not what it used to be. But his nickname is Big Ben for a reason. And you mentioned that durability. I mean, you can never bring this guy down on the backfield. and. had a heck of an arm. Obviously, one of his best throws that comes to mind is that um, throw in the end zone caught by Santonio Holmes. And um, just what, what a career, as we've talked about before with Ben Roethlisberger. Just what a player. Um, he is a legend in that city. And we've talked about this before as well. I mean, it's never easy to sustain you know, a uh, career of longevity at the quarterback position, especially in one city for such a long time. And I believe he was there for 18 years. And just seeing what he was able to do to bring a couple championships there to never have a losing season, like I mentioned, and to make the playoffs for many of those years as well. I mean, it speaks volumes to who he is as a player. Um, he did a lot for that city as well. And um, they're now tasked with finding a quarterback that um, – needs to be able to, you know, throw the football downfield because we were not able to see that this season much at all. Mm-hmm. And so if this team wants to remain in playoff contention for years to come, that's a big hole they need to, you know, fill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think about, you mentioned Big Ben, uh, Big Ben Roethlisberger, six-time Pro Bowler, AP Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2004, part of that class featuring I think it was Philip Rivers as well as Eli Manning mm-hmm. um, 2004 um, part of that quarterback class and so you think about his career and how long that been able to span you think about um, going 13 you know his rookie year for example and how kind of like that was kind of like the setting of what how the next his career was going to play out and we got to see that um, as we mentioned getting that um, Super Bowl um, following that 2009 season and just a great career for uh, Ben Roethlisberger. All right, we got another coach that is ending his um, uh, is leading the team, and that is uh, New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton. And we think about what Sean Payton's done uh, in the NFL, you know, winning that Super Bowl uh, against the Colts. Um, you know, we think about that onside kick and we think about all those years with uh, him and Drew Brees over the years. It's pretty fascinating to see, especially 
to what the Saints were able to go through, you know, even before they won that Super Bowl. You think about uh, Hurricane Katrina, for example, and how the city was able to celebrate uh after such a devastating scene from Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. Man, Champagne really went one season without Drew Brees and said, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that now that's jokes. I mean, they're they're in a rough position, the Saints, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously being down so much in cap space, they're I think one of the bottom teams in the league in that regard. And they were almost a playoff team as well, which is surprising mm-hmm. considering the injuries they had. And um, I mean, obviously the team isn't as good as it's been in, in years past, but I mean they were still able to put up a fight, and that's all credit to Coach Payne. I mean, you, you brought up what he did for New Orleans after Katrina and bringing a championship there, always competing. I mean, obviously, I think he's been kind of, you know, been screwed at times, to be honest, uh, Sean yeah. Payne, especially mm-hmm. in the playoffs with those uh, no calls and, and things not going his way. And, you know, perhaps he should exactly. I mean, perhaps he should have more Super Bowls than he did. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately end up winning appearances. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the very least. But I mean, just what he was able to do for that city and that, that franchise was massive um, because I believe he brought them their first and only ring. Um, so that's a big deal there. Obviously winning the Lombardi trophy is the greatest accomplishment in sports. So um, for him to be there as long as he did and be successful is important. I think he is, he said he's not going to coach this year. He might go into TV. I think he would be great at that. He seems very well composed. Seems like a guy who is upfront and honest about everything. And he knows the game well, obviously. So he would do great in that. And he did not close the door um, when talking about returning to coaching in the future. So he could obviously land another you know, head coaching position in the NFL with any team. And he would make that offense successful. I don't think there's any doubt. So, um, obviously, great tenure for him in New Orleans. And, I mean, interesting why he why he stepped down now. But, um, obviously, he, he wants to focus on other things in his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is now the ninth uh, coaching opening, um, I'm pretty sure, in the NFL, nine or ten. Um, but that is uh, remains to be seen as one looks like one will be filled. And that it's from the... Denver Broncos as they expect to hire Nathaniel Hackett. And Kyle, how do you feel about this move possibly here as a Broncos fan? Yeah, I, I like it. I, I think that um, it is, you know, an opportunity possibly for Aaron Rodgers to come to Denver. Obviously that Packers offensive coordinator and quarterback connection there would, would I think fit in very well. The first um, offensive head coach, for the Broncos, I think since Josh McDaniels. So this is a big change in the culture and general manager, George Payton is, you know, I I think he found his guy. I think a big part of that was the Packers losing to the Niners because if the Packers didn't um, lose to the Niners, then there would not have been a second interview this week. And so George Payton took that into account. Um, had a second meeting with Hackett, and it seems like he's going to be hired as the next head coach. I love the move. I think he's going to make the offense creative. We all know that the Broncos have a solid team. They just need a quarterback, and they need offensive creativity. 
and hopefully they can provide both with Hackett as head coach. I think, you know, obviously um, a new offense is going to be put into place and that's obviously massive, but now a knee turns to quarterback. And so we'll see what happens next, but I think it's a great hire. And um, I, I really do think that it, it's an opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to come to Denver, um, if not go elsewhere. But um, I like it. He, he's a younger head coach. I believe he's 42 or 43 years old, um, expected to be a four-year deal. And uh, ever since, you know, Kubiak left Denver, there has not been any success at head coach. So hopefully this is the start of a change. All right, we're going to stay in the AFC West. We're going to talk some playoffs. The Kansas City Chiefs yes. won a four great uh, divisional games last week. Uh, took on the Buffalo Bills, and that game came down to the wire that it had to go to overtime, and the Chiefs pulled out a 42-36 victory with the Chiefs getting a game-tying field goal in the possession, lasting 13 seconds and about a 49-yard field goal. From Harrison Mutker to tie the game and uh, pull off the victory in overtime. Yeah, yeah, I think you know, obviously the 13 seconds. When I was watching this game, I, I kind of thought, you know, this is not over. They have timeouts, mm-hmm. and look what happened. They, just, they throw one to Kelsey, throw one to Hill, and yeah, I mean, it was a crazy game. I don't even need to mention what happened. Everyone pretty much knows how crazy it was. It was a great weekend, and that was, you know, cherry on the top. Um, in terms of football, one of the greatest football weekends, I think, of all time. Definitely playoff weekend. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no doubt. Um, but obviously, you, you bring up that um, overtime situation, which takes us to our second fair or foul segment. Um, do you believe that the NFL overtime rules um, are acceptable or outdated? I think that I'm with the majority as well. Obviously, people on social media have been talking about it all week. Josh Allen deserved to have the ball in his hands in overtime. And it doesn't have to be exactly the same as college rules. I mean, you can just go back and forth with, you know, scoring. I mean, touchdowns not only from, I mean, the the opponent, the opposing team's 25, but maybe even your own 25. Um, but I, I do believe that something has to change. You hate to see Josh Allen perform like he did and have his outcome, you know, ultimately decided by a coin flip. Because when Mahomes and the Chiefs, when they get the football, I mean, I thought there was no doubt that they were scoring. But throughout that game, I mean, what was it when we entered overtime? 36 to 36? Both defenses are gassed. Of course they're going to get down the field and score because they've been on the field the whole game. And, you know, the way that both of these offenses operate, I mean, they can go no huddle. They can um, change things up. Obviously, you're having to guard two of the toughest players in the league. And so for Josh Allen to not get an opportunity to score after playing, I mean, that game, the way that he did, it, it's baffling. Something has to change. Let each team have possession is all I want. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be the same as college rules. I mean, there's – some confusion there a little bit with the two point conversions after first overtime or whatever the rule is, but just, just let both guys have a chance. And um, it's just obviously frustrating when you see a game like that end like that. Mm-hmm. 
I was really debating about this one because I see both points. There's yeah. like what you mentioned, Kyle, about giving Josh Allen a chance. And the part of being in favor of these NFL OT rules is the defense. And you think about mm-hmm. how good this Bills defense is, even without Javis Fire. So this last week, uh, when we were talking about this game, you think about mm-hmm. even without having Javis White, you think about Micah Hyde leading that uh leading that defense um you think about the bills being one of the top defenses in the national football league and you know that's that's kind of how josh allen is able to get on the field in overtime is if i got hide in those in the, the bills get a stop they either force kansas city punt or they they get kansas city to kick a field goal and i think that was um you know, and that's kind of that's why you play the game of football. It's an offense versus a defense. And you think about, you know, like I mentioned, that Bills team, how good they are, you know, whether it's at the line or in their secondary, it's comes down to that defense. And ultimately, you know, there were calls in that game from Sean McDermott that shouldn't have uh that bit him at the end of the game too. And right. that kind of ultimately le- led to the Bills losing that game. So I think it's, I think the NFL OT rules are ultimately, and I really say ultimately, I think they're fine as the way they are. Everyone's going to debate about this because Mm -hmm. of the fact that uh, the quarterback doesn't get the football, but you think about it's, and that's just because of how much we talk about and how valuable position is like quarterback and a player like Josh Allen, you know, we see, you know, be one of the few, we talked about the mobile quarterback coming into today's game. We didn't see a lot of that from as many quarterbacks as is expected this year, but Josh Allen lived up to that mo- mobile quarterback role here in 2021. Yeah. But, and I think that's just because of the value that we give quarterbacks compared to the value that we give defenses here in the NFL. Yeah. Obviously, you know, defense wins championships. And mm-hmm. in this case, the Bills were not able to secure a spot in the AFC championship but you know after looking through you know social media this week just trying to get different points of view I did see a couple comments that mentioned you know NFL overtime is fine in the regular season but maybe playoffs it should be changed mm-hmm. um, maybe, I mean obviously that could be you know a, a better option because in, in the playoffs obviously there's not going to be a game that ends in a tie um, but I think it would definitely be more exciting in the playoffs if there were different overtime rules. And I mean, I don't really have a problem with ties in the regular season. I mean, obviously people have different feelings about that, but, um, I don't know. I, I think you're right. You, you bring up really good points. There's a fine line to everything and there's positives and negatives with both points of view with this. Mm-hmm. Um, Ultimately, I, I wanted to see him, you know, Josh Allen mm-hmm. get the football in overtime again, um, especially after that game. So many points scored. Defense is on the field the whole game trying to make plays. Um, so they're gas. But, I, I mean, I get it, um, keeping things the way that they are. Um, but with such a high demand, I guess, against the current overtime rules, I wonder if that's going to change. I doubt it will similar to the taunting roles and, and everything we've seen this season. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if, if things do change. I doubt they will just because 
I mean, it's kind of been this way for a few years now. So um, there, there really is a fine line to it. Mm-hmm. So with that, the Chiefs, they're moving on to the conference championship this weekend. Um, both games on Sunday, the AFC, they kick off the two, two slated games with taking on the hosting the Cincinnati Bengals who beat the number one seed Tennessee Titans 19 to 16. This game is in Kansas City. Uh, the Chiefs are seven point favorites. Um, as we see, this game picks off at noon on CBS Pacific Time. Uh, in the NFC game, the Rams, who took down the Bucks 30 to 27, they host the number six 49ers who beat the Green Bay Packers. Uh, this game picks off at SoFi Stadium, which is also the home of Super Bowl 56. This game between the Rams and the Niners kicks off yeah. at 3.30 p.m. Pacific time on Fox. Give my perhaps a little early Super Bowl prediction. I think it's going to be Kansas City and the L.A. Rams. I'm going with the stronger teams. I'm a boring guy, sorry. <laughs> um, but honestly, I do think that in both of these games, the Bengals and the Niners have chance to cover each of these spreads. I mean, this Bengals-Kansas City game, the first game on Sunday, they're playing at Arrowhead like we saw last weekend. It's never easy to win an Arrowhead. Nope. And I, I think it's going to be very high scoring. I mean, these are two high-powered mm-hmm. offenses. They throw the ball downfield. They only seem to run the ball when they need to. Um, and they can as well. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how they utilize the weapons. Um, I think that Cincinnati is going to make a lot of big plays on defense. They have some dogs on defense. I think their defense is incredibly underrated. I mean, it seems like they have guys at every position that can make plays. And what's going to be big for them is um, Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson getting pressure on the homes. I think those edge rushers are some couple of the best in the game. And, I mean, obviously, last week we saw what they were able to do to Ryan Tannehill at times, get him flustered a little bit. Obviously, you don't want to see Cincinnati give up nine sacks in a game again. So that's going to be interesting to see how their O-line does. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that's a big part of the Bengals' success as well. I think it could be close, but I just can't see the Chiefs losing at home, especially – after last week, I mean, they're right in that high. They got momentum their way. I mean, so do the Bengals, but yep. um, they're going to have that home crowd behind them, so that's big. And then in terms of the Rams game, what I see in this is, I mean, last week was not a great game for the Niners at all, and it was ultimately that special teams touchdown that won them the football game. So they're going to need more plays like that in order to win this game. I mean. This team is not going to be perfect. Um, they have flaws, obviously, at the quarterback position. We don't know how Jimmy G is ever going to play, it seems like. Um, so I think that's going to be important. But I think the same for the Rams. I mean, they can't turn the ball over, as we saw last week. That's why the Buccaneers were still in that game, even after that 27-3 Rams leads, because they turned the ball over. Not only – I mean, it wasn't Matt Stafford that, that uh, threw interceptions. It was those fumbles. Cam Akers, obviously. Um, those miscues were, were big in the Buccaneers, you know, staying alive in that game. Um, I think the Rams 
playing at home is obviously big for them, kind of. They don't really have fans. I think the Red Sea is going to come down and support San Francisco. But um, being at home, I, th- I think, is important for them just because they're, they're used to that field, that stadium, that turf. Um, I, I just don't see this team losing. I, I think they have too many weapons. Um, and obviously the Niners do too in their own right. But, uh, I mean, I, I think it's going to be Kansas City Rams. I don't want it to be Kansas City and L.A., but I just think it's going to end up being that way. Well, I think about this Bengals-Chiefs game. You think about this game, these two teams faced off at Arrowhead Stadium just about three, four weeks ago at Arrowhead, mm-hmm. and the Bengals pulled out a victory. Yeah. And they won 34-31 in Arrowhead to snap that eight-game losing streak and to make the Chiefs the two-seed instead of the one. Right. And uh, I'm reading the recap from that game right now, and Patrick Mahomes told Jamar Chase when they met after that game, keep going, we'll see you in the playoffs. <laughs> well, now we're here. Wow. Now we're here. And ultimately – hmm Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I feel like I don't see the Bengals winning this game. Kyle, you mentioned the momentum that they have after last week's overtime win, as we just brought up. Um, so I'm going to take the Chiefs on this one. Um, they'll be able to – they'll go to the Super Bowl as they host their fourth consecutive Super Bowl for the first – or fourth consecutive AFC championship game for the – uh, which is the first time in NFL history that's happened. Um, so I'm going to take the Chiefs. When I think about this NFC game, I think this is going to be really close. In the regular season, we saw the Niners win both times against the Rams here in 2021. And so I feel like this is really anyone's game. You think about Cooper Cup, you yeah. think about Devo Samuel, you think about Elijah Mitchell, you think about Camp Akers being back, and we saw him have a ton of volume last week against the Bucks. Um, you know, we think about Matthew Stafford going against against Jimmy G. Um, this should be a really great game. Uh, yeah. We know, we know when when these two teams played in Week 18, we saw how well Niners fans traveled to Silver Stadium, mm-hmm. and I feel like that might that's going to be the case again this week. And oh yeah, the the difference is how well can this Rams offense get going? We understand Cooper Cup's there, but it's Matthew Stafford and how well he's going to be able to control the game offensively, and that's going to be a key. And if the Rams can do that, they're going to make the Super Bowl. But if not, the the Niners are, are going to win because they can they'll give the ball to Debo Samuel or they'll get him the ball any way possible, whether it's throwing it to him, whether he's throwing the ball or he's running it or he's returning kicks, he's going to find a way to get the football as we saw last week. Um, ultimately here, I think I'm going to go out on the limb and pick the Niners uh, to win this okay. game. We saw last year the Bucks as a five seed make the Super Bowl. So the, being the Niners to succeed, you know, they have the chance to be a wild card team to make the Super Bowl, so I'm going to take the Niners on this one to see Chiefs and Niners uh, in the Super Bowl. I mean, let's face it, we all want to see Cincinnati and San Francisco, or I mean, at least some of us <laughs> on San Francisco, 
But I mean, for the most part, that's what we all want to see because we're we're tired of seeing you know the same teams in the playoffs and in mm-hmm. the Super Bowl and this and that. Um, you know, I I think Niners Kansas City that would be a really nice matchup in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think what's really important for the Niners if they are going to win, it's that D line man. They got to get pressure. Yep. And uh, we've seen it throughout the season. I mean, their, their defensive unit is pretty strong for the most part. Obviously, the secondary has some questions. But, I mean, that linebacker core, Al Shire and Fred Warner, I think Fred Warner is going to be able to play. So that's big. Um, and that D-line has been solid throughout the season. So, um, like, like I said, if, if they are, I, th- I think, going to win, it's going to come down to stopping the run, which they can do, and then obviously putting pressure on Stafford. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I hope these games are close. I really do think they will be. But, I mean, you got to follow up last weekend with another solid Sunday here, right? Yep. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't put out a product last week that's sensational and then just for it to be two blowouts in a row. Like, we, we got to have uh, two close games here. Mm-hmm. I think for sure that second game is going to be close between the Rams and the Niners. Yeah, yeah. I think that one especially. All right. We're going to talk some quarterbacks now. Um, you think about the situations that they're in that we're going to bring up. Um, you know, are they going to stay with their teams or where they go? But some of these are free agents. Some of these are nearing the end of their contract. Some of these teams are having, um, you know, just questions within their, or- their, their organization. And so we're going to dive into them. We're going to start off in Seattle with Russell Wilson. We heard Pete Carroll is staying. Um, does Russell Wilson stay or will he uh, go? I think he stays. I think he's a free agent after next season. I could be wrong. But, I mean, I don't see any reason why he goes unless they get some crazy trade offer with two first-rounders or a first and a second and – maybe a player or another, you know, mid-round pick. I, I think, you know, from from what I've seen and heard so far, it just doesn't seem like there's too many rumors about him being traded. Obviously, there are some. And any team, like even the Colts or the Broncos, could use a Russell Wilson. But, I mean, if they do trade him, I mean, what do you get in return? Obviously, you're going to want to draft a quarterback or get a quarterback in return. So, I mean, it just – the way their offense functions and um, what he means to Seattle, I don't think he leaves yet. I think, I think he stays for another season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell Wilson does have an opt-out this year, so he could decide to be a free agent. Although, mm. ultimately, Kyle, I think he stays in Seattle. I think, you know, you think about the quarterbacks that are out there, you think about – the quarterbacks in this draft, I feel like it's better for Seattle to stick with Russell Wilson compared to. I agree. Uh, rather than try and choose someone else in free agency or through the draft, so I'm going to sit, say, agree with Kyle that uh, he stays in Seattle. Uh, Russell Wilson is a free agent after the uh, in 2024. All right, up next we've got. Aaron Rodgers mentioned he's been able to do in Green Bay. Uh, Kyle, what do you think? Do, does Aaron Rodgers stay or does he move on? 
I mean, I think another part of that question could be, does he retire? Because there's been rumors of that as well. But ultimately, I don't think he retires. I think he's got football left in him. And it's his life. He, he's Aaron Rodgers. He does whatever he wants. But I, I don't know. This is tough. Um, obviously, Green Bay wants him back. They, they want him to be the quarterback for, you know, the rest of his career. But, I mean, after losing a game in, you know, the divisional round to the Niners the way that he did, I think this could be the precursor to him leaving. And it really does also come down to, you know, where Devontae Adams goes. I mean, do mm-hmm. they continue to play together elsewhere? Does, you know, he, does Adams potentially go to Las Vegas to play with Derek Carr? I mean, there's a lot of questions to be answered. And Devontae Adams is a big part of Aaron Rodgers' decision. He's made that clear. And, I mean, obviously he has been disgruntled with the Packers front office for a while now. Um, it's tough to call. I, I, I think he's going to play elsewhere, though. Just it, it just seems like the time that he, the time is up for him in Green Bay. I mean, he's accomplished so much there, and he, he might be ready for a new challenge. Obviously, I, I'm hoping he comes to Denver, but that's a big hope. You know, obviously, mm-hmm. he could go anywhere, um, depending if, you know, Green Bay gets the right trade for him. And uh, I, I think he would be willing to play anywhere else as well. But um, it, it's tough to call. Just based on everything that's happened in the past year, I think it's he, he goes elsewhere. This win is probably, you know, we're getting, I think we're getting to a total of about 10 or 11 quarterbacks. This is probably yeah. the toughest one to figure out because sure. of how long Aaron Rodgers has been in Green Bay. He's got an opt-out this year that he gets to decide on. Uh, like Russell Wilson, he's not a free agent until 2024. Um, and so that'll be things that you know and I think what's more um more challenging compared to Russell Wilson is like you mentioned Devontae Adams as well as I think having having a clear 44 million dollars in cap space as well for the mm. Green Bay Packers so that's going to be things to watch for um I think if they can clear cap space and if they can get Adams and Rodgers and they and they have the ability to re- retain Rodgers and uh, Adams, then if they have the ability to retain Adams, then I think there's a good shot that Aaron Rodgers returns as a Packer. Mm-hmm. But that cast face is going to be the key thing uh, in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. All right, next quarterback. A little bit older than Aaron Rodgers, and that's Tom Brady. He's hinted about retirement, weren't sure about what it was. What, if, what do you think about Tom Brady? I don't think he retires. Whatever Giselle wants him to do, he's why would you listen to her? I mean, you're the GOAT. You're going to do what you want, and you're going to play as old as you can play. And so I think, I mean, he's got a year left on his contract in Tampa Bay, and so I think he he's going to finish that, and who knows what's what happens after that year. But I, I think he continues to play. I mean, I still feel like there's unfinished business there, and um, – he's still able to perform at a high level. So why not keep going? You know, I think, mm-hmm. what was he the third best fantasy quarterback this season? And I think he was either first or second in passing yards in the league or something like that. So he was obviously one of the better quarterbacks in the league this season, as he's always been. And um, I mean, I just, 
don't see him retiring going out like that. I mean, obviously losing in the divisional round, the goat is going to go out like that. I can't see that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think he finishes out his deal with Tampa Bay. The way you started that, Kyle, Giselle or the NFL? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, seriously. His wife or the goat? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he, he he was like, yeah, it, it pains Giselle to see um, me get hit the way that I get hit. <laughs> it's football. I mean, have you seen some of his highlights from 15 years ago when he's getting blasted in the face and, like, somehow his head doesn't come off? Like, seriously, I mean, the rules have changed. I mean, obviously, yes, he's 44 years old and he's old, but he's they're protecting quarterbacks a lot more than they used to you know and i mean he seems to be doing pretty well i mean obviously leading his team to the playoffs and being top two or three or whatever in passing yards this comes after tom brady (laughs) got his first career unsportsmanlike conduct penalty on sunday after taking a hit to the to the head and neck area yeah I mean, obviously, there's that. I mean, you're going to get hit in the head. It's football. This is uh-huh. not, you know, whatever. This is this is the one this of the most physical games in the world. Yeah. This is so you're going to get hit. This is an unnecessary contact by football. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's the way I interpret it. That's the way I think mm-hmm. about it is he's been hit like this throughout his career, and he seems to be doing fine. And obviously, he knows his body better than anyone else, but. I, I don't know. He's too good to retire and he's not going to go out like that. That's the way I see it. I don't know. I don't know exactly what you think he's going to do, but. Yeah, I think at his age, it's tough to say. It's not like he hasn't. Um, I mean, it's not like he, he's done a lot in his career. I think that's an understatement. With yeah. What he's been able to do, come back from 20 to three to win a Super Bowl. You know, he's won back-to-back Super Bowls before. But you think about, ultimately, I feel like he he stays. And for the same reasons that you mentioned, Kyle, I mean, we Mm -hmm. think about how good Tom Brady's been as a quarterback. And that's, I don't think he'd want to end his career losing in the division series. Yeah. Or in the division. He's the GOAT. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't can't do that if you're the GOAT. And if you do, I mean... Mm-hmm. obviously you can do whatever you want but at the same time i just i can't see that there's no way he's tom brady he's not going to go out a loser mm-hmm. all right up next we go to cleveland and uh, we're going to baker mayfield yeah so this is obviously an interesting situation especially after last season he mm-hmm. did not perform up to, you know to his level that he should have he is a free agent after next season and there's been rumors of trade and this and that I think he stays um a big part of his lack of success last season was his shoulder injury and he seemed to be playing through that I mean pretty much the whole season and he looked like trash to be honest at times he did I mean let's face it he missed a lot of throws that we never used to see him miss before mm-hmm. and I, I think a big part of that is just the, the shoulder injury to be honest because he's better than that there, there's no way that the number one overall pick um, is missing you know wide open passes or mis, misleading guys downfield you know 
I mean, I, I just, I don't think they should give up on him yet. And he's obviously got talent for a reason. He went number one for a reason. And I, I do really think a lot of his misfortune last season was, I mean, obviously COVID, a depleted O-line due to injury as well. And then his own, you know, troubles with injury. So I think he returns. I think he has a bounce back season. I, I think that he has the talent to do so. And they need more weapons around him, mm-hmm. first and foremost. I mean, they got to draft a receiver, I think. There's no doubt, especially after trading Odell. Yep. They just weren't able to get him the football as much as they hoped to. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think he stays. I think he stays as well. And I think, do you think about the aspirations that this team had? Was it two years ago when they believed that they could go to the Super Bowl? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, Jeez. I think if Baker can kind of kind of find that mindset again, I feel like he stays in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. But then it's going to be after after next season what he does. Right. Um, and that would be the question. Um, but if he can somehow find that mentality where they're going to have that mindset that they had the feeling to go to a Super Bowl, then maybe, but I feel like he'll stay for sure, but then next year's going to be questionable. Yeah, Another one, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if, I think, you know, if he has a bad season like he did this year, then he's gone. They're not going to yep. bring him mm-hmm. back. There's no chance. Um, but I hope he does bounce back. I think he has, you know, mm-hmm. the potential. We've seen him make a lot of great plays before, yep. and it was just an off year. It happens. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to quickly run through the rest of these. Uh, yes. One quarterback that is still playing is Jimmy Garoppolo, who, as you mentioned, is uh, playing in the NFC Championship game against the Rams. Is Jimmy G stay? No, I think I think they move on to Trey Lance. I mean, you dropped him number three for a reason. Yep. And throughout Jimmy's career, it, it's kind of been all the same. You know, turnovers and, you know, inaccuracy issues and He's not the most mobile guy, so I, I think they move on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to agree with that. Pretty much took the words out of my mouth. We go to Las Vegas, and we go talk Derek Carr. Well, if I'm the new GM of the Raiders, I'm trying to keep him, obviously. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league that deserves more respect, and um, his accuracy is fantastic. He can throw on the run. He's got a big arm as well. I don't see a reason they move on from him. I'm going to agree with you. And I think the other reason that you see is what, what him and his team went through this past year and what Derek Carr was able to do um, Mm -hmm. as a leader for his team. You know, we think about, you know, everything that happened this year with the Raiders, you know, John Gruden, Henry Ruggs, Damon Arnett, um, you know, uh, having the organization, and see the passing of John Madden and see what Derek Carr was able to do even after losing 48 to nine to the chiefs, give this team a four game winning streak and will this team to the playoffs. I think he stays uh, in Las Vegas, no matter who the new GM is, whoever the new head coach is, and whoever the new offensive coordinator is. All right, next we go to Denver, stay in the AFC West. We go to Denver. We go to Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, I don't know who's going to be the quarterback of the Broncos, you know, in the future, but it's not going to be Teddy B. Mm-hmm. It was yet another failed experiment, and I think it was only a one-year deal that he signed. I could be wrong, 
but um, I, I don't think that they bring him back. <laughs> Ultimately, I see him being testing for agency. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's a free agent this year. Yeah, um, he. I just don't know if he is. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think he could probably, not to compare this player, but I feel like he could easily go the same route as Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky as being that backup quarterback in a really for another better quarterback and find his way back into a starting quarterback role. Yeah, point. he'd be a solid backup. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. All right. Next, we go to Tua Tagovailoa, the young lefty in Miami. Uh, Kyle, what do you think about Tua? I think they should keep him. I mean, obviously, they've had some issues with him in the past. He, he's turned the ball over. Um, their offense is, is not creative, really. And so I think they put him with, you know, the right head coach, offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He has more success because obviously he was a first rounder due to his success at Alabama and he's got a heck of an arm. And I just don't see him taking many deep shots, but I think their, their team is growing. Obviously, Jalen Waddle was one of the better rookie wide receivers and um, firing Flores was a little bit of a question mark, but if they can bring someone in who can tap into his strengths as a quarterback and he can continue to develop. I mean, no reason why they shouldn't bring him back. Mm-hmm. Completely agree with that. You mentioned Jalen Wilde. You think about Devontae Parker as well in that passing mm-hmm. game. The only thing about the question about Miami, but doesn't really involve two is, is just that run game. Um, you know, yeah, they need a running game. back. Mm-hmm. All right. Next we go to, we stay in the, younger quarterback stage and we go to Justin Fields just after his rookie season in the NFL. Yeah, he's got potential. You can't give up on him. Mm-hmm. You can't trade him. They're going to bring in a new head coach. And um, I think similar to, you know, Tua, they just need a guy who can really bring out the best in him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even though that offense didn't look great at times, he was still able to make some incredible throws. Mm-hmm. So the talent's there. Now they just got to execute. Mm-hmm. Talent will come, accuracy will come as well with more reps uh, in yes. the field. I, I'm going to think he will also stay in Chicago. All right, we'll go to Carolina. We're going to talk both about Sam Darnold and Cam Newton. Um, think about, you know, with Mount Rule being fired, uh, what do you expect for both Sam Darnold and Cam Newton? This is interesting. I think Darnold could stay. Um assuming he's a free agent, I don't know his deal exactly um, or if he's going to be traded, but um, I think, you know, they should keep him there. I think that he is still worthy of being a starter. I mean, they just got to continue to build that O-line. It seems like his whole career, he has not had a good O-line in front of him and they got off to a great start last season. I think they started out what three, three and oh, four and oh, but just weren't able to keep up. And that defense is solid as well. Um, obviously having a healthy McCaffrey would be important yep. too. I think they need, I think they need another wide receiver, but mm-hmm. if there's anyone, if there's any one of those two that's staying, it's, it's going to be Donald because I think Cam Newton said last month that um, he is willing to take a back role on a team that is a contender and they could obviously use him in a role kind of similar to what the Panthers did this season. But, I mean, obviously, you, you, he would have a role of kind of mobile quarterback. They put him in on goal line situations. He's not going to be the one throwing every pass. He's not going to be taking snaps out of shotgun necessarily and, and throwing deep balls. 
So I think he goes elsewhere, and I think he's going to sign with a contender like he wants to because he's Cam Newton. He's had the experience. He's He can still run over guys even if the arm mm-hmm. power isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, Kyle, I'm going to agree with you. Sam Donald, he does have one year left on his contract okay, where yeah. Cam Newton is a free agent. So pretty much I'm going to ditto to what you just said. Um, final quarterback. Uh, is Ryan Tannehill helped his team get the number one seed in the AFC playoffs, but through first through interceptions on his first and last throws uh, in that game last week against Cincinnati. Yeah, he um, is still on that uh, big deal he received back in 2020, and um, he's going to be a free agent after 2023. So I believe. And so I think he stays. I mean, I'm not sure who's going to want to pick him up with that contract, especially because next season he's getting a salary of $29 million. So <laughs> I don't think another team is going to want that. I, I think, you know, he's kind of always been the same kind of quarterback. Um, they turnovers were obviously big in, in factoring into their loss because, the Titans should have won that game. Mm-hmm. And I think they keep him as their quarterback. Um, they're a playoff team, I think, annually. There's no doubt about that. Um, just unlucky because they get Derrick Henry back and they were able to use him as much as they hoped to. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I feel like he stays, like you mentioned, Kyle, no one wants that contract. Um, Ryan Tannehill does have an opt-out after next year, so that will mm. be questionable to see. But He's going to stay because, like you mentioned, no one's going to want that contract. Yeah. All right. We're going to move on to the final piece of our show, and that is a little bit of trivia segment now where Kyle is going to quiz me. All I know is the subject is on the Las Vegas Raiders. All right. So what I put together for you, Brevin, there's only five names that you need to come up with. Okay. And... Okay, I'm, they don't have to be in order, but you can okay. try and get them in order. All right. Um, top five Raiders fantasy performers from 2021. Okay. So you so you can try and guess, you know, in in point total in order, or you can uh-huh. just you can just throw out names. It's totally up to you. Okay. Um. Uh, okay. First, I'm gonna go with. Um, I think I'm just gonna throw out names because I okay, yeah. I didn't have it, it, there's a lot of mm-hmm. there's a lot of names you could pick mm-hmm. here. So I did not have any Raiders on my fantasy team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to have Derek Carr on the bench spot, but I didn't get to Devin Watley yeah. decided to pick him up before me. Um, but <laughs> Derek Carr is a name I'm gonna mention. Um, yes. with well over 4,500 passing yards, um, good amount of touchdowns. Derek, uh, uh, Derek Carr uh, should be on that top five. Yeah, absolutely. Derek Carr on this list is number two. So he ended the season with 243 fantasy points. That ranked him 14th in the quarterback room. He averaged 14.3 fantasy points a game. Like you mentioned, 4,800 passing yards, 23 touchdowns, 14 picks. Um, we've seen him have better have better seasons, but obviously yep. this one was pretty hectic. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is number two on this list. 
Up next, I think I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to play it safe here. I'm going to go with Hunter Renfro. Yeah, he was number one. Um, <laughs> incredible season from him. I guess breakout season, you could say. Number 10 wide receiver mm-hmm. in fantasy, which is crazy. Almost yeah. averaged 15 points per contest. He had over 100 catches, 103 catches, and 128 targets. So he's got incredible hands, over 1,000 yards. He had yep. nine touchdowns. Mm-hmm. He is one of the better slot receivers in the league at this point. I mean, his route running is incredible. He showed it. So he mm-hmm. was number one in terms of Raiders players with over 250 fantasy points. All right. Up next, even despite a couple of injuries this year, I'm going to go with Josh Jacobs, the running back. Yes. Number three, Josh Jacobs. He had 217 carries for 872 yards, nine touchdowns on the season. He was actually the number 12th ranked running back, which is kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, expected to, him to be near the 20s, but um, I think those touchdowns helped him a lot. He finished with 211 fantasy points on the season, ranking him third on the Raiders. So you have two more guys left. Uh-huh. Let's see if you can go five for five. This one, I'm going to – this one's going to be a tough one. I'm going to go a kicker. I'm going to go Daniel Carlson. Yeah. He's number four. He was the number one ranked kicker in fantasy this season. He averaged oh. 10 points a game. He was spectacular. 40 made field goals in 43 yep. attempts, mm-hmm. 30 extra pointers made, 171 points. So on this list, he was fourth. And you have one more left. And there's a few options that I, I'm, I'm sure are kind of going through your mind. I, and, this, I don't and, and, and funny enough, this, this name would be number five on the list. Wow. I, so, I so still you, thought Carlson was fifth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's actually uh, very surprising. I mean, you don't – I mean, obviously kickers score a lot of points mm-hmm. for teams throughout the season, but, yep. yeah, he was number four. He was, he was spectacular. Those 40 field goals were a franchise record for most field goals made in a single season. Um, with those yeah. 40 field goals, had over – scored over 150 points between his – uh, field goals and extra points. Um, I think the one I'm going to have to go with, he had a breakout second half, and that was Zay Jones. It is not Zay, Zay Jones. Oh. Oh. So close. Yeah, this, this one is actually a lot closer than you would expect. How many points am I working with between him and Carlson? So. Carlson had this season, one second. Carlson had 171 points. The name that you need had 129 fantasy points. And then Zay Jones had 100. He had 100? What the heck? Yeah. Kind of crazy, but. So you're looking for a name with 120. Yeah, he did. You're looking for a name with 129 fantasy points. Is it Kenyon Drake? No, it is not Kenyon Drake either. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I yeah. knew he got hurt. <laughs> yeah, and, like, and the, oh. I think that was the biggest part of that. 
Yeah. Kenyon Drake mm-hmm. had 93 fantasy points. Well, I guess then I got to go with Darren Waller tight end. It is Darren Waller. Yeah. So that's number mm-hmm. five. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was a 17th ranked tight end, averaged yep. 11.7 this season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 55 receptions. He had 93 targets. So um, kind of a down year for him. I mean, obviously yeah. he was hurt. Um, 665 yards, two touchdowns. 129 fantasy points again. He was number five. Mm-hmm. And then all of these names that you already mentioned, Zay Jones, Kenyon Drake, um, they are not number six. Could you just guess number six for fun? There's there's one more name out there. Uh, it's not Deshaun Jackson. I know that. <laughs> um, uh, not Alec Ingold. Only had one touchdown. Alec Ingold. <laughs> the only one I could picture it's between Moreau or it's Peyton Barber and maybe Brian Edwards. When so it is there. Brian Edwards. Okay. He had 104 fantasy mm-hmm. points. Peyton Barber had 46. 46. And Fossil yeah, Moreau yeah. had 80. So Brian Edwards would have ended up being number six on this list meaning zay jones would have been number seven okay so pretty solid i mean you got four yeah. out of five mm-hmm. that's 80 percent. I, I would take that yeah i would take that that's the same percentage as uh hydro rainforest catch percentage in 2021 yeah yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah brian edwards 34 receptions 571 yards three touchdowns um, he should hope to get a lot more production next year, mm-hmm. for sure. Yep, he'll enter his third year in the NFL next year. Um, mentioned Darren Waller coming off that 107 reception season that set the Raiders franchise uh, single season record, um, passing Tim Brown in 1997. Um, I only know that because I just wrote a story involving all those reception totals with Hunter Renfro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah all right four out of five solid Mm -hmm. all right well that's gonna do it for us here on down the line kyle asking me some trivia based on raiders fantasy football ppr totals here in 2021 um next week we're gonna talk how however much baseball there is we're gonna talk championship weekend we got we get to preview two weeks worth of super bowl um next week we'll talk some pro bowl in las vegas next week um aj cole is going to the pro bowl from the raiders so is uh, max crosby as well as denzel perryman yes um they get to stay in las vegas for the pro bowl um we'll talk some more football we brought back fair or foul this week not once but twice talking about the nfl overtime rules as well as the baseball Hall of Fame and the announcement, as well as with Brady Bonds and Marge comes not being elected on Tuesday. Um, so, as you mentioned, a lot of sports going on this weekend. We hope you get to watch as much as you can. In addition to football, there's college basketball going on this weekend. The Aztecs coming off playing three games in five days. A tough loss yesterday uh, on the road in Logan, Utah against Utah mm-hmm. today. Um, yeah, Farmers Insurance Open Golf to conclude on Saturday. Um, should be great golf there. And 
like you mentioned, Australian Open tennis, um, as well as they enter semifinal play uh, coming up. So with that, that's going to do it for us here on Down the Line. For Kyle Betts and Brunhunde, we thank you for listening this week, and we hope you tune in next week to Down the Line.